Well, good morning. I want to tell you about the very first time that I ever visited a place called Romanov Orphanage in Ukraine. It was a, an orphanage for um, boys and young men with a range of different physical and mental disabilities. Now, I've talked about Romanov quite a few times before. You've probably heard me, heard me talk about it if you've been around Grace for a little while. And here's why I talk about it so much is because my experiences at Romanov were some of the most uh, world-transforming experiences of my life. What I saw and experienced there frankly just changed everything for me. So let's, let's go back to 2009, and I want to tell you about my very first time visiting this, this place. Now, Mission to Ukraine, uh, our partner ministry that's in Ukraine, they had been visiting Romanov weekly for about a year when I first had the chance to go with them. And so I, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, most of the time I had no idea what was going on, and that's kind of how, how it was when I was traveling the world. But I was in a van with a bunch of Ukrainians from uh, Mission to Ukraine, volunteers and staff, and, and we were all driving down there, and everybody was so excited. Now, from what I had gathered, based on what I had heard, Romanov was a pretty terrible place. It was an awful, awful place. You see, in, in Ukraine, um, a lot of the problems that were faced by, let's say, families with, with a child with a disability, uh, were the answer to those problems were just institutionalization. And so a lot of these young men and boys, and there was another orphanage somewhere else for women and for, for girls, they were just kind of abandoned to these places. And the orphanage administration, from what I had heard, um, their sort of mindset, their perspective, was that these boys were really not much better than animals. And so they were, they were in these terrible, squalid conditions where the wall Walls were painted black when the mission to Ukraine first got there, and there were bars on the windows. And, and the, the administration kind of even said to mission to Ukraine, like, what are you even doing? Why would you even come to this place? What's the point in teaching these boys? Okay, so that's what I had heard before I went. So I was gearing up for a very somber experience. My friend from Mission to Ukraine, Oksana, she had told me, you better bring a change of clothes because you are going to smell terrible after being in this place. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm really gearing up for something pretty awful. And I, so I get in the van, we're driving out to Romanov. It's about, a, about an hour's drive from Zhitomer. And as we're on our way out there, I did not know what was going on because everybody else in the van, all these Ukrainian, you know, people with, from MTU, they were so excited. They're giddy. They're laughing. They're, they're, they're talking excitedly about what they're about to experience. And I just was like, guys, I thought we were about to go into a terrible place. Why are you so excited? I didn't understand it. And then we got there, and I, 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 even worse, I could not understand it at all because I looked around, and Romanov was this desolate place. It was like a compound of buildings, and, and all the trees had been, had been cut down. It was a really, like, a, a, just an awful place. And when we walked in to the, one of the orphanage buildings, um, the stench hit me like a wall, and I, could, I started gagging because it, it smelled like an open sewer. And we walked into a room, and then what I saw, the images of what I saw will never leave my mind because we walked into this room and there's probably about 30 boys just wandering and milling around this room with nothing in it. Like there was just nothing in there and these boys were just around. One of them was, was hitting himself in the, in the chin. One of them was, was covered in sores and cuts. One of them was standing in a puddle of his own urine. There was, there was moaning. There was yelling. It was absolute sensory overload. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I recoiled, and I, and I was kind of frozen in shock to see these types of, th this type of, of injustice before me. That was a natural reaction for me. I froze. 
But just then, and again, I'll never forget this, uh, the, the staff and the volunteers from Mission to Ukraine swept around me like a river, and they came right into the room, and they, they picked up these boys into big bear hugs, and they were touching their faces and calling them by name and loving on them. And I was shocked, and I'm standing there frozen while they're doing this. We spent the next hour or so, um, or a couple hours, uh, doing different, we went to different rooms, same conditions as the first, where they would teach the boys. I I was there, they taught the boys how to wash their hands for the first time. They'd never experienced that before. And so we did this for a couple of hours, and then we all got back into the van, and yes, we did smell bad after being there. Got back into the van, and we drove back to Jatomer. Now, imagine how you'd be feeling after experiencing something like that. It's probably like the way I was feeling, which was devastated, right? I was, I was just absolutely blown away by what I had seen. I was devastated. I was shocked. I was depressed. I was sad. But again, my friends from Mission to Ukraine, like Oksana, my, my friend, they were all giddy and exciting and laughing and talking about, oh, did you see Anton had made so much progress? What about Vladik? He was so... What was I experiencing? Who were these people who could go to a place like that and come out feeling jazzed and excited? Like, what in the world? What was I experiencing? I couldn't make sense of it. I was on the verge of despair, and they seemed filled with hope. How could they be energized and happy after visiting a place of such deep injustice? I was in awe. I was in awe. I had never seen anything like it. So my big question then, and my big question for us this morning, is why? Why were they filled with hope when I was filled with despair? Well, that, that question of why, the answer to that question is what we're going to talk about today. How could they have hope in the face of injustice? So welcome back to Hope Month. This is, this is week three of Hope Month, and all month we're talking about the fact that our God is in the business of healing the broken place of injustice. It's what He does. Now, a quick little recap here. I said in the, the first week that the, the problem of injustice, it, it seems so big. It's the, it's the quickest thing to lead us to, uh, to compassion fatigue, and we get overwhelmed. It seems insurmountable. We, we inevitably freeze up just like I did when I first entered Romanov. That's what happens. I mean, look at what's on the news right now. You see the, the, the stuff going on in Morocco and the floods in Libya. Like it, it just shuts you down, right? How, how are you supposed to have hope in the midst of that? Well, as I said in week one, this is not called despair month. This is called hope month. And so we're going to focus on that hope. So week one, I talked about the fact that, that like I said, God cares deeply about injustice. It's, it's something that he cares about. He's in the business of healing it. And he invites us to join him in that work. So how do we do that? Well, I said there are three big ways that we do that. First, we respond to the suffering people that we encounter in our lives, we respond with compassion. Second, we resolve. We we make decisions to, to, we resolve to give of our time and our energy and our money in an ongoing way to heal injustice. And finally, we rebel. We rebel. We we know that the, the cultural powers of our world are trying to keep us apathetic. They're trying to keep us complicit in injustice. And so we, we fight back. We rebel. And my friends at Mission to Ukraine, like Oksana, they, they, they did that. They were all three of those things. For example, when they first encountered these boys at Romanov, they responded with Christ-like love. 
It would have been so natural for them to just walk on by, but they didn't. They engaged. They stayed in the game. They resolved to do something about it in an ongoing way. They went to Ramanov every single week, rain or shine on holidays. They were there. They weren't going to miss it. And they were rebels. They were rebels. People in their community in Ukraine, they thought they were weirdos. The, the, the people at Mission to Ukraine were, were looked down upon because why would you spend all of your time and energy and money trying to care for these people that clearly were rejected by the world? In fact, and I'm, I'm not making this up, the women, some of the women on staff at Mission to Ukraine told me that, that they actually were having a bit of a hard time finding husbands because the men did not know what to do with them. These people who had such deep compassion, they were weirdos, they were rebels. So that was week one. I, I, I talked about how we respond, how we join God in doing this. Last week, Josiah came from City Relief, and he had this really incredible message talking about the fact that when we engage with justice, we discover that God's presence, God's, God's uh, wholeness and his, his, uh, his love is there right with us, and it transforms us. It, it was a really powerful message. I encourage you to go back and check it out if you haven't. That's what he talked about. But this week, I want to talk about that question of hope versus despair. Why do we have a reason for hope? The biblical authors that we're going to look at today, they believed that healing the injustice of our world was not just a dream, but a possibility. And in that, there's hope. So let's talk about it. Before we do, let's pray really briefly here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity for us to engage in something that is so close to your heart, this topic of injustice. Knowing, Father, that we are quick to, uh, to feel overwhelmed, quick to despair, I pray that you would speak clearly in these moments. Um, as I'm teaching, Father, would you just help me to just disappear and allow your Holy Spirit to remain? Uh, and would you give us all ears to hear what you have to say for us today? I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's dive in. As I said in week one, the beginning of Hope Month, injustice is a major, major concern of the biblical authors. It is all throughout the Bible, and it goes all the way back even to the beginning, back to the, the law of Moses in the first few books of our Bible. Um, Moses, I'm going to give you an example of this. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, is sharing God's vision for what the people of Israel are supposed to look like, what their society is supposed to be. And this is just one example. I could give you a bunch of others. Um, but here's what it says in De Deuteronomy 15. There should be no poor among you. Hold on, just stop for a second. There should be no poor among you. Okay. For the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land your, the Lord is, God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Okay, again, there should be no poor among you. This is in the law, the law of Moses. You see, from the very beginning of, of God working in this world, God uh, had chosen a, a, his people, the Israelites, and he had designed them to be a unique type of community, a holy community set apart from the rest. They were designed to show the rest of the world what's possible, that there's another way to live. When it comes to injustice, they were, they were supposed to show the world 
what God's justice looks like. And here's how I defined that a couple weeks ago. God's justice is the open-handed thriving of individuals and communities living within the abundance of God. And that's what we see in Deuteronomy 15. Because in theory, the people of Israel were supposed to be experiencing that kind of thriving all the time. They were supposed to be kind of locked into what I call a positive feedback loop of blessing. A positive feedback loop of blessing. Here's what I mean. God would, God would bless them with abundance, right? They're his chosen people. He blesses them. But then what do they do with that abundance? Well, they, they give it away. They give that abundance away to use it to help other people. The Bible always talks about the vulnerable people like widows and orphans and foreigners. Well, they take that blessing, they bless widows, orphans, and foreigners, and then guess what happens? As a result of their generosity and of their their self-giving love, God would bless them some more. And so they'd have even more to give away, and so they'd give that away, and God would bless them more, and, and so on. It's a positive feedback loop of blessing. You keep that loop going and you you do it throughout the entire nation of Israel and guess what happens? You end up with a country or a nation that is completely free of poverty and injustice because of course it is, right? There's there's no room for injustice when everybody is living open-handed in their generosity. They can show the rest of the world what's possible. So that was the vision. That was the the operating idea for Israel, a land with no poor, a land with no injustice. So how'd that work out for them? Well, not so great. You guys know exactly what happened next because the people of Israel were close-fisted. They were selfish. They didn't give their wealth away. They hoarded it. They took the blessings of God and they kept them for themselves. And so who suffered because of that? Widows? Orphans, foreigners, the vulnerable, all of those people were neglected in Israel. People suffered from poverty and injustice became the law of the land in this nation that was supposed to be set apart. Here's how I define injustice. Any needless suffering brought on by a withholding of God's abundance. See, that was happening now in Israel. People were withholding God's abundance. They were tight-fisted and the nation, as a result, was spiraling the drain. Which is why if you read later on in the Old Testament, you read the Old Testament prophets, they are, they're kind of despairing about this. They're frustrated. It's the, you, you read the Psalms, you read the prophets, and you sense the same type of, dis- you know the feeling that you get when you just comprehend and think about uh, the, the vast wealth that exists in our world, and yet there are children dying of hunger, right? That, that outrage that you feel, it's outrageous that that's the reality. And yet, that's exactly what was happening in Israel. And so the prophets say things like this. Guys, look, learn to do good. Right? This is what Isaiah the prophet says. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. And then this is in God's voice. If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. It's the positive feedback loop of blessing. You give it away, I'm going to give you more. That's God's promise. And yet, that never happened. Not even close. This vision that God had of a nation of of justice, it just seemed desperately far out of reach. Until, there's always an until in in my messages, until Jesus entered the scene. He did what Israel failed to do. He showed the world what was possible with justice. 
This is what we talked about two weeks ago, but at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he, he made it very clear what he cares about. He said that the time of the Lord's favor is here, right? That there would be now justice for the poor and all of that. And then he went on to live this life of incredible justice. He, he healed the sick, and he cared for widows, and he restored lepers to, back into community. And he gave dignity to outcast women. And I, I could go on and on, right? This was what Jesus did. He showed the world that there is another way to live, the way of God's justice. It's possible, he said. This is the way it's meant to be. Through Jesus, this vision of Deuteronomy 15 was rekindled for the people of God. And he invited, Jesus invited anyone who would follow him to join him in that work. And that is exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. And I want to show you what I mean. So if you want to follow along, grab a Bible with me. Turn to Acts 2, uh, verse 42. It's going to be page 907 in the House Bibles. I want to show you exactly what happened uh, through Jesus' followers. So on the day of Pentecost, uh, there was this moment where the, the God's Holy Spirit was given to the people. And so the Spirit of Christ came to dwell within the followers of Jesus. And, and miraculous things started happening. They started doing these signs and wonders, and, and people were getting healed. People were able to speak in different languages. It was crazy. But then look at this. Look at what happened in Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and, pay attention, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It says that they were in awe. Is that any wonder to you? Is it any surprise that the people were in, in awe uh, looking around at what they were seeing? Frankly, I know that feeling because it's what I felt when I was in that van in, in Ukraine. I was in awe of the people that, who, who are these people? That's what they were asking. That's what they were asking. What is going on here? What am I seeing? Miraculous things were happening. Yes, yes, people were being healed of diseases. That's miraculous. But you know what's also miraculous? People giving away their stuff. That's a miracle. And it was happening all over the place. It was, what is going on here? Something is happening. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. These people, the Bible makes it very clear, were not super Christians, all right, these are, these are ordinary people like you, like me, like my friends in Ukraine. These are ordinary people, just like the Israelites who had come before. These were not people cut out of some special cloth, but something fundamental had changed that allowed this open-handed generosity to, to take place. What had changed? God's Spirit had come. God's Spirit was now within His people, transforming them into these reckless philanthropists. What a miracle! The Spirit of Jesus was doing something new in his followers. And yeah, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Of course. Of course people wanted to be a part of that. Uh, skip ahead. Uh, turn a page on Acts, Acts 4. I just want to read one more little moment here. Four, uh, verse 32. Kind of a similar vibe, but listen to this. All the believers 
were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. And they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Hmm. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Think about what we just read there. Think about this. The people shared everything they had, right? Open-handed generosity. God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people. Hmm, what does that sound like to you? Sounds like Deuteronomy 15. It's the exact same thing. There should be no poor among you. There were no needy people among them. The Lord your God will greatly bless you. The Lord God greatly bless them. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. You see, the vision of a people of God who, who, who had, uh, had focused on justice, that vision had been rekindled in the early church. That open-handed, generous early church was showing the world around them what was possible. As they gave and as they sacrificed for one another, guess what, they, what, guess what happened? They found themselves full of even more joy and awe at what God was doing because he was blessing them. You know why? They were, they were locked into that positive feedback loop of blessing. Now that the spirit of Jesus Christ was within his followers, God's justice and mercy and abundance were on full display and it changed people. The time of the Lord's favor was finally here. Despair was replaced with awe, with awe as God healed injustice through the church. There were no needy people among them. Now, I've done enough reading of theologians and commentators to know that there are quite a few out there who will tell you that Acts 2, Acts 4, really this is kind of like a, a bit of a utopian vision. It's not really possible today. It was just kind of like the, the early church, there was a lot of enthusiasm, and so things happened for a moment that aren't really feasible anymore. I've read that. I've read it a bunch of times. But I'm going to tell you, and this is my opinion, but I've, I can back it up. Those theologians and those commentators are dead wrong. Saying that this is just a, uh, just a, a utopian vision. I'm telling you, this is not just showing us some fantasy. It's showing us what is possible now. What is possible in the church now that the Spirit is here. Injustice is losing now. Injustice is losing. The game has changed. There is now a reason for hope. And do you know how I know this? You know why I'm so confident that these commentators are wrong? Because I have seen it with my own two eyes. I have witnessed Acts 2 and Acts 4 in our modern world today. I've experienced the awe that comes from seeing God doing the impossible. I've seen it in India I've seen it in Kenya. I've seen it in New York City. I've seen it in Guatemala and South Africa and Indianapolis. This is the great gift that God gave me in my life was to be able to see these things with my own two eyes. I saw it at Romanov Orphanage. I returned to Romanov a year after my first visit. That first awful visit that, that had so shaken me, I got to go back a year later. 
And on my way down, again in the van with all the excited and, and energized Mission to Ukraine folks, um, Oksana said, Barry, there's kind of a surprise for you at Romanov. We're excited to show you. And I was like, okay, what could that possibly be? And we got there, we pulled up to Romanov, and the very first thing I noticed, we stepped out of the van, is I saw color. There were, there were colorful little, little picnic benches and, and umbrellas and, and flowers and things like that. Uh, we went in. The boys were, were quiet and calm. It didn't smell very bad. And there were, there were decorations on the walls. And the, the walls had been painted bright colors. And there was a play area for the kids in one corner. And I was like, whoa, this is a transformation. I said, Oksana, you guys did all of this? You did all of this stuff here? And she said, no. No, we didn't do all this. The orphanage administration did it. The orphanage administration. That, remember I said, they were the ones that had said these boys were a little better than animals. These are the ones who said, there's no point in coming here because why would you, what are they even going to learn? Why would you try to teach them? The orphanage administration had made these changes. They had invested in this orphanage. Why? Because they had seen something they never saw, thought possible. They saw through a little bit of love and compassion and, and consistency in, the, in these boys' life that they were truly able to transform the orphanage administration saw that, and they decided to invest in that same journey. The Lord was adding daily those who were being saved. They were seeing it with their own eyes. They were seeing it with their own eyes. This is what happens now, guys. Today, this is what happens. It is the time of the Lord's favor, and followers of Jesus get to help it spread. It doesn't take much. All it takes is a little bit of love and a little bit of faithfulness, and God does the rest. The Spirit is moving. It is enough to give you hope. I want to show you another little glimpse at some of the transformation happening at Romanov. And so we are going to go live to our correspondent past Barry, uh, young Barry, about 10 years ago. Uh, just, just bear with me. But I want to show you, I had that privilege as I was doing some of my writing of actually living at Romanov for a week. And uh, it was a profound experience. Here's what I saw. Welcome to Romanov Disabled Boys Orphanage here in rural Ukraine. Romanov is home to 80 boys with a whole range of physical and mental disabilities. I had the privilege of living here for an entire week to see what everyday life is like in this place. As you may have read in my most recent article about Romanov, life for these boys is bittersweet. Because of Mission to Ukraine, their lives have improved tremendously. But because of the culture in which they live, the poverty of their community, and the systems of injustice surrounding them, there is still much work to be done. With all that in mind, let me give you a glimpse into what everyday life is like for these boys, a day in the life of Romanov Orphanage. Romanov Orphanage is not much to look at. The staff here have tried their best to brighten the place up with flowers and fun decorations, but as fall turns into winter, the place can feel a bit bleak. The sad truth is that much of the boys' time is spent simply hanging out in their dorms, especially when it's cold outside. Things are made even more claustrophobic by the fact that their main classroom building, where they would normally spend their daytime hours, is being renovated, and has been for more than a year. Nevertheless, because of Mission to Ukraine's influence, the boys have access to many activities and learning opportunities that they never had before. Every day, the boys attend classes where they sing, play games, and learn about the world. 
And let's not forget their favorite activity, beating. When the weather's nice, the boys head outside for some fun and games in their beautiful enclosed sports field, which was built by Mission to Ukraine. Many of the boys participate in smaller, hands-on life skills classes where they learn about things like hygiene, greetings, and practice their fine motor skills. Several of the more severely disabled boys now have access to Romanov's brand new sensory room. This type of care is simply unheard of in orphanages of this kind. Can you guess who provided it? Yep, mission to Ukraine. Of course, like everyone, the boys have physical needs. They head over to the showers to get clean, and four times a day, they make their way to the dining room for meals. But of all the things that the Romanov boys do day to day, there is one that is undoubtedly the highlight of their week. As Fridays roll around, they can hardly contain their excitement. What has them all worked up? Well, Mission to Ukraine comes for their weekly visits on Friday. Games, lessons, Bible stories, activities, songs, Friday mornings are a blast at Romanov. Rain or shine, in the dead of winter, on holidays, the Mission to Ukraine team is unflinchingly dedicated to giving these boys the love and the life they deserve. video so many times, it always gets me. Um, that's amazing, but I got one more thing to tell you. That was 10 years ago. That was, 10, that was a decade ago that that sort of transformation was happening. Guess what's happened since then? In the last 10 years, Mission to Ukraine, this group of Ukrainian weirdos that decided to love people the world had forgotten, they have begun to have something of a national platform They've begun to transform the dialogue around disabilities care in the entire country. There was a moment where they, only had, they had the only occupational therapist in the entire country, and now that's beginning to change. They are influencing people all around the country of Ukraine. Oh, and one more thing, one more thing. When the Russian invasion happened, guess what? Mission to Ukraine stepped up, and they became a, a source of provision and shelter and safety for people in their entire community. This group of rebels, these community weirdos, had suddenly become the, the bedrock of that community, and now hundreds and hundreds of families in Ukraine have found hope because of them. Oh, and one more thing, one more thing. In the last 10 years, sorry, God was not just working in, in Ukrainians' hearts, he was working in the hearts of a family of Americans, Kim and Jed Johnson. They, uh, they were Americans who, who felt God 
tugging them to do something about disabilities in Eastern Europe. And guess what? I wrote a blog post about my time at Romanov and, and what I had been seeing there. They found that through some Google search and ended up moving their entire family to Ukraine to begin a ministry called Wide Awake, where they have, they've begun to try to, to get these boys adopted out of orphanages like that. And since that time, they have now built up a team of uh, volunteers and staff, both Ukrainian and American, who have dedicated themselves to getting these boys out of those systems of injustice. And to this day, 10 of the boys, many of the ones that were in that video, have been adopted and they will spend the rest of their life in families that love them. That has all happened. Yes, thank you. Give me a sec. That's what's happened in the last 10 years. Imagine what will happen in the next 10. Okay, what I'm saying, guys, is that the game has changed. The game has changed. Injustice is losing ground. If we just believe that, Acts 2 is not a dream. It's not a utopian vision. It is a possibility. This is, why, this is why I don't lose hope. This is my reason for hope. Because this is what happens. All of this stuff is what happens when God's people join him in his work of healing and justice. His spirit does things that we could never see coming. That we'd never see it happening. Do you think back in 2009... That Oksana, my, my friend, Oksana, do you think that she or any of the other folks from Mission to Ukraine knew that by just going every week to Romanov Orphanage that they would someday change the national conversation around disabilities in Ukraine? Of course she didn't know that. Do you think she knew that within a year the Orphanage Administration would, would come alive with a vision for uh, investing in these boys? No, she didn't know that. Do you think she knew that, they'd be that God would be preparing Mission to Ukraine to be a source of hope during an invasion from Russia? No, she didn't know that. She didn't. She was simply saying yes to where the Holy Spirit was moving in her life. She was, she was giving what she could, small acts of compassionate faithfulness for those who were in her path. Oh, oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is all that Oksana was doing. That's all the Johnsons are doing by moving to Ukraine. That is all Mission to Ukraine is doing. That's all the early church was trying to do. And that is all that we, Grace Church, are trying to do. Look, we act justly. We love mercy. We walk humbly with our God, and he takes care of the rest. That's how it works. He blesses our work of justice. Our small actions grow and expand and multiply in ways that we could have never possibly imagined. Bottom line, when it comes to healing and justice, our God does not play by the rules. He doesn't. And that is why we can hope. So, okay. That's great. It is. It's great. It's great news. But all the stuff I've talked about today is really far away, right? It's, it's out there. It's over there. It, it's, it's out of our day-to-day -day normal experience. I doubt many of you find yourself in Ukrainian orphanages all that often, right? But let's face it. Your world, my world, it's filled with injustice too. If we have eyes to see it, there's poverty, there's inequality, there's, there's uh, abuse, exploitation, and it's happening right in our backyard as well. So here's what I want you to think about this week. Think about this and pray about this. What is your Romanov orphanage? 
What's your Romanov orphanage? What, what widows and orphans and foreigners, so to speak, what vulnerable people has God put in front of you? What small, faithful sacrifice is God calling you to make? Because remember, this is the time of the Lord's favor. It's not just some future ideal. It's now. If you start walking this path of justice with him, if you say yes to the Spirit, I think you are going to be in awe of what he accomplishes. Let's dive in to the positive feedback loop of blessing and start showing our world that another way of life is possible. Let's pray. God, I know that the context where we live, the, the suburban Indianapolis area that we are living in makes it very easy for us to be blind to injustice. Our whole culture is designed to keep us numb and apathetic, so I know this is a big ask. But Father, would you open our eyes? Would you give us uh, eyes to see what is really going on in our world? Would you give us a, a vision of which vulnerable people in our own backyard are in need of love, are in need of care, are in need of justice? Because we know that's what you care about. Open our eyes, Father, and give us the courage to take that next step, even if it's small, knowing that, that and trusting that you are going to do more with that than we could possibly imagine. Give us that courage, I pray, in the name of Jesus, the one who declared that the time of the Lord's favor has begun. In his name we pray.